What I'm gonna be sharing with you today is a message I've termed the heart and the things of life. The heart and the things of life. Now that is taken from a scripture and we're gonna to get to that scripture a little bit later. But just to begin, our hearts are essentially the meeting place from what we receive from the Lord and how we react to others, but also what we receive from the world and from others, relationships, circumstances, and trials, even the good things, what we receive and then how we relate back to God. Our heart is like that nexus point, which is the meeting point. And it is critical that our hearts stay pure, our hearts stay strong before the Lord. And I want to share a passage out of Jeremiah with you, and you can turn to Jeremiah 32, so long. Just uh, keep your finger there. I wanna give you a little bit of background about something Jeremiah experienced, which the Lord gave revelation on of something that really relates to the heart. So let's begin this journey together. Jeremiah, in uh, Jeremiah 32, had already been taken into custody. He had prophesied that Israel or Judah was about to fall, and Jerusalem itself was already surrounded by the, by the Chaldeans, by the Babylonians. They were under siege, and the defeat was inevitable. It was at this point that the Lord gave Jeremiah a word that he was to buy his uncle's field in the land of Benjamin. The next day, his nephew came with an offer to buy the field in the land of Benjamin. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what you call a confirmation, just in case you missed it. All right, so the confirmation came and Jeremiah stepped up to the word of the Lord and he bought his uncle's field for 17 shekels of silver in a time where real estate was under a lot of pressure. You've got an invading army and you can imagine even the field you've bought might have Chaldeans sitting upon it, occupying it. It's not as if the land was worth much at that time. But nonetheless, the Lord said, buy the field, and Jeremiah goes through the motions of the purchase of sale, he gets witnesses, he gets title deeds, everything is done to the letter of the law. And where we're gonna pick it up now together is in verse 14. Let's read together. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is from the New King James Version, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And what I really wanna focus on is this earthen vessel. This earthen vessel was to be strong enough to last at least 70 years. That's how long the occupation lasted. And the Lord's command was, put the deeds which is the purchase of sale, which shows property ownership in a vessel that is strong enough to last the time and to not crack and break easily. Because the inheritance might be lost if it was to break before the time. And if the deeds are lost, there's nothing to show the ownership of Jeremiah's family for that piece of ground when the siege was over and when the people would return to the land. Now you ask me, what does that have to do with the heart and the things of life? And I'll answer you in my first point. My first point is his word hidden in our hearts. That is taken from Psalm 119 verse 11, and it is David who said these words in that scripture. Your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
Now let's put these two scriptures together, the passage out of Jeremiah 32 and hiding the Lord's word in your heart and you can see where I'm going. That our hearts are the earthen vessel. The title deed is the word and we are to have a strong hold on his word that we would not crack in the midst of Chaldean circumstances. Even if our life is besieged and it seems like there's no hope, there's no escape, there's nothing that is gonna deliver us from where we find ourselves. And yet the Lord's promise to us is yet once more, there will be breakthrough. There will be a lifting of the siege. But make sure that the vessel of your heart is strong enough to hold the title deed of his word until redemption comes, until the breakthrough is released. Now, our hearts, physically speaking, were designed by our creator to pump blood. We know this for a fact. But I wanna tell you something else. Our hearts, soulishly speaking and spiritually speaking, were designed by our creator to hold his holy word. The natural resting place of the word of God is the human heart because we both stem from the same creator. He created this. He created the Bible. He gave us his word. But it remains letters on a page, dormant in its potential until it is planted in the human heart where its natural resting place should be. But in order to get from here to here, we have to engage. We have to abide in his words. He who abides in my word will ask what they wish, ask what they want, and it will be done for them. And so the heart is the natural resting place for his word. But I have a question to ask you. What do you have in your heart? Because it is not just the word of God that can be planted in our hearts. There are many negative and hurtful and harmful things that can likewise be planted in there, such as bitterness or unforgiveness or, 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 or extreme disappointment. And so there are so many things that we need to take into consideration when it comes to our heart is the word and anything that is contrary to God's ways. Do not dwell together. They, they, they are contrary to each other. And thus it is important for us to take personal responsibility that we check our hearts. Because where David planted the word of the Lord in his heart, he hid it in his heart that he might not sin against him. It's not just for sin. It's for hopelessness. It's for doubt. It's for fear. It's not just to not sin. It is the fullness of the promise of his word that is imparted to us that then becomes a mighty instrument in our lives to save us and to help us to make the right decisions when we are faced with besieging Chaldean circumstances that in the natural promise to overwhelm us, but his word is implanted as a promise of his fullness to come. That was my point one. But now, moving on to point two, which is guard your heart, for out of it issue the things of life. Now, this is taken from a scripture, and it's Proverbs 4, verse 23, which out of the Amplified reads, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. We are to watch over our hearts. We get that from the scripture. But the question then becomes, what do we as Christians, how do we practically watch over our hearts? How do we guard our hearts? I mean, it's a beautiful scripture to put down, but how do we actually 
one plus one equals two, go about guarding our hearts. And I wanna share three aspects with you. I'm certain there are many more, but these are certainly three that I felt were valid and that there was substance to them, and I'm gonna share them with you. The first is that when we interact with people, when we minister to people, we do so by the leading of the Lord, of what He is leading us into, and not purely by human sympathy. Human sympathy alone will see you take the cares of the world on your shoulder, and you will be quickly burnt out and bowed down by what you are putting on yourself. But to be led by the Lord, to be led by His Spirit with the compassion that He puts in your heart for what He is calling you to do, under those circumstances, there's still gonna be a flow of ministry, but it's not gonna be something that is debilitating and tiring and wiping you out. Now, this comes from a scripture that I'd like to share with you. It's John 5, verse 19 out of the New King James. Then Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. Jesus himself says there, I'm only gonna do what I see the Father doing. Unless the Father shows me, I'm not gonna be walking in those ways or doing that specific action. And we can pray for the same thing. And if you say to me, but I don't understand, I, don't, I can't hear the Lord's voice yet, I, I, I'm not sure if he's leading me or not. That's part of the journey. That is the time to pray and to ask the Lord to give you discernment. Ask him for a peace. Should I get involved in this situation? Should I get involved with this challenge? To be quite honest, it's the difference between a shooting star and a comet. A shooting star burns bright, very quickly, beautiful, then it burns out. But a comet is on a continuous rotation. It goes around the sun and then it comes again. It goes around the sun, then it comes again. And that is us, we go to the Lord and we are filled, we are refreshed, we are renewed, we come and we minister what he lays on our hearts. Then we are back once again with the Lord, then we're ministering again. What happens under those circumstances is your heart is guarded because you're not drained unnecessarily. Now the second aspect I'd like to share with you is everyone, everyone, even your enemies, are to be loved by the commandment of the Lord but not everyone is trustworthy. I know that sounds like a harsh statement. I'm gonna give you a scripture where Jesus himself said it. And you know if Jesus said it, you can lay it on him. Don't lay it on me, all right? I'm just sharing the word here. You can take up his word with him if you've got a problem with it, but I'm just gonna bless you with it nonetheless. But to be a little bit more serious, the honest truth is not everyone is trustworthy. Not everyone is, not even certain family members. We know this, it can happen. But everyone is to be loved, but not everyone loved can be trusted, at least not yet. Some might grow into that position because trust is earned. It's not just given, trust is earned. Listen to what Jesus said in John 2, verse 23 to 25 in the Amplified. I say the Amplified because there's a fullness here. It really expounds, it puts it out. Now, when he was in Jerusalem, Jesus, at the Passover feast, many believed in his name, identifying themselves with him after seeing his signs, his attesting miracles, which he was doing. But Jesus, for his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and understood the, the, the superficiality 
and fickleness of human nature and did not need anyone to testify concerning man and human nature for he himself knew what was in man, in their hearts, in the very core of their being. Those are some serious words that the Lord gives us. And yet, love covers a multitude of sins. It doesn't excuse them. And so we can choose to love everyone, but we open our hearts in a trustworthy manner to those who will be trustworthy with what we are giving. And the Lord has got a purpose and a plan for our lives. He doesn't want our hearts to be rocked and cracked and broken. It is important that we guard our hearts. And so these first two aspects are two of the three. The third is this. Pray to see situations and people the way God sees it and bless what he is doing. Ladies and gentlemen, I must be honest. I don't think I would have liked to have met the uh, Apostle Paul while he was still just Saul. All right, you can imagine this wild man with flaring eyes and spit in his beard, running from house to house, gathering up Christians and throwing them into prison. I wouldn't find that experience very nourishing for the soul, just between you and me. And yet, within that man was all the potential of the apostle that wrote almost half of the New Testament. But who saw that before the time? Not many. But God saw. And we can pray the same, to say, Lord, show us so and so, how do you see them? How do you see the situation? And even if there's just 1% of what you can discern of what, what that person is walking in the right way, or if there's nothing, but you are just gonna pray into the potential of who God wants them to be, you do that. And you begin to pray and see that potential becoming life. It's like light displacing darkness in a dark room when you turn on the light. It doesn't fight the darkness, it displaces it. The more you bless what God is doing, the more the displacement of that which is negative takes place. It's not gonna happen if you're offended by their flesh. It's not gonna happen if you're offended by their flesh. In Matthew 5, verse 44, it says, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I mean, these are not suggestions. Jesus didn't say, but I say to you, love your enemies sometimes, unless they're really mean, okay? Bless those who curse you, but only if you feel like it. Do good to those who hate you, uh, sometimes. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, but only if you like woke up on the right side of the bed this morning. All right, otherwise it's okay. There's nothing about that in the Bible. It's so specific that we are to operate in the ministry of reconciliation. We are to reconcil reconcile sinners to Christ. We are re to reconcile to each other. If you're not walking in the ministry of reconciliation, you are walking in the ministry of the accuser. It's one or the other. Now, if you're offended in your flesh and you reject someone because of how they've acted towards you, you walk around mumbling about, Lord, what are you gonna do about this person who, who harmed your anointed, okay? there is not gonna be a progression of the Lord's kingdom in their lives. Let his ways become your ways. And his way is to see, to ask to see what he is doing and to bless his work in that person's life, regardless of how they're presenting themselves or conducting themselves. And don't be surprised when you begin to see the mighty hand of God working within them whilst your heart is being protected. So, just as a quick recap, 
Guarding your heart is to be moved with the Lord's compassion, not just human sympathy. Do those things that he is leading you into and only those things, like a comet, go and get refreshed. Don't burn out like a shooting star. The second is love everyone, even your enemies. It's a command, but that doesn't mean you have to trust them. Trust the trustworthy. Trust is earned. And the final is that see situations and people through his eyes. Ask for that revelation and insight and then bless that and watch the light go on in a dark room as his work begins to displace whilst your heart is being protected. Amen. Amen. Now, the final point I want to share on is blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now, this was specifically spoken to John the Baptist. He had prepared the way before Jesus. He had made sure that, that he had fulfilled his purpose, and he did it well. He did it well. But he was then taken into prison, and while he was in prison, he was discouraged. And in his discouragement, he sends a message to Jesus from two of his disciples. And this is the question they come to ask Jesus. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, are you the coming one or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Now what I wanna touch on is I know there are many people sitting under the sound of my voice right now, or perhaps even hearing this message at a later stage, and the vessel of your heart is already cracked. You've already received a blow. It might have been from people or circumstances, but sometimes, and we have to be honest with ourselves here, this is real, we have to be honest that sometimes we feel let down by the Lord, that somehow, he could have, because he's sovereign, intervened in our situation and changed it, and yet we are left suffering. We left with the loss of a loved one. We left with some kind of dis dismay in our lives that, that we trusted him to save us from, and yet we found ourselves in the midst of it, and we didn't understand, and our hearts cracked under those circumstances. And this word is for you, this point is for you. I wanna minister into that hurt today. I wanna bless you with this word today, that the Lord is merciful, he is kind, he is gracious, but there are certain things that happen that we don't understand, and I pray that I'll be able to minister to you regarding that. Now, one of the things that the Japanese have, it's a fantastic art form, it's called kintsugi. And kintsugi is the art of restoring broken pottery using liquid gold. What they will do is they'll take all the pieces of a broken pot or plate or cup and they will stick it together with liquid gold and restore it. It is more beautiful than before it was broken. It is a marvelous sight. I encourage you to go and look up a picture of it. I should have prepared and had one for you, but I didn't. Nonetheless, the principle there is the Lord can take your brokenness and make you whole and make you more than before you experience the brokenness because that is his heart of redemption for you. That is his heart of redemption for you. 
Now, he blessed us with a Kintsugi scripture, and I'm happy to share it with you. It is John 15, verse five. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and I in him. A branch in a trunk or a branch in the vine. It's impossible for that branch to remain dry and broken and discouraged if it is attached to the vine because it will draw the life from the vine into it and be restored. And that is the picture Jesus is giving us here. And that is the work that he's got for you too. That if you find yourself in that place where you feel broken, now is not the time to withdraw. Now is the time to draw near. Because when you do, you position yourself in the vine and you begin to draw his life back into your life and you experience a redemption you did not think was possible. But the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Regardless of the Chaldeans surrounding you, you do not need to languish with a cracked pot for a heart. You can draw near anytime, anywhere. Today is the day of salvation in terms of drawing near to him. Amen. Amen. I wanna just give three quick examples of scenarios where people in the Bible experienced incredible, incredibly difficult circumstances, even overwhelming circumstances. And the first is Naomi. She was a godly woman. This is out of the book of Ruth. And she experienced immense heartache. And heartache is the first point I just wanna speak into. That sense of loss, loss of a loved one, loss of work, loss of, 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 of health. Just that heartache, that heartache that burns so deeply at times. And we read here in Ruth 1 verse 19 to 20. Now the two of them, this is Ruth and Naomi, went until they came to Bethlehem. Naomi had lost her husband and both of her sons in Moab. There was a famine in the land and she had gone to Moab because there was still food in Moab. But she went with her husband and her two sons and she lost all three of them in Moab and she came back basically destitute with only Ruth as her companion. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. For the, um, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. And you hear the anguish in this lady's heart. She's bereft. She's heart sore. She believes that the hand of the Lord was against her in a personal way. She's broken. The earthen vessel of her heart is cracked. And yet, the Lord comes alongside her and Ruth and begins a restoration process where through Ruth's interactions with Boaz, she marries Boaz, she gives birth to a son, Obed, who is David's grandfather. And so Naomi becomes the great-grandmother to the King David himself. There's such restoration for Naomi, she becomes Obed's nursemaid. She literally suckles him that there's such a restoration that even her physical body was restored to the measure 
of a young woman that she could contribute in that way to her grandson. That is a testimony of your God's ability to heal and restore in your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, another example is, is Joseph. And I'm using him as the example of pruning, which is the process of purification. And people sometimes experience this pruning, purification process as a punishment from God. They interpret it like maybe they've sinned somewhere or they got on God's bad side somehow and, and now these things are happening. And yet, the Lord is performing an incredibly beautiful and holy work within their lives of preparation for what is to come. We don't know what's to come, he does. And the purification we go through, or the pruning, is to prepare us to walk in what he's gonna call us to do. But we can't necessarily see it in the moment, and sometimes our hearts get cracked. Now for Joseph, I wanna read a scripture for you out of Psalm 105, verse 18 to 19. It says here out of the New King James once again, they hurt his feet with fetters. It's like iron clamps. He was laid in irons until the time that his, Joseph's word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. That is not tempted, it's tested, and the implication is the word of the Lord purified him, prepared him. The implication is, is like metal that goes into a furnace, it comes out the slag, that which the impurities that go to the top is, is pulled off, it goes back in the furnace. The initial reaction might be, ah, all right? But the heat has a purpose, and it's not necessarily seen in the moment. And so, it's also amazing that in this very scripture, when I was reading it, and I read, he was laid in irons, there was a little A there, all right? Now, when you see an A in the Bible, it's for A, so that you're gonna look and go and see what else could have been translated. And that A says this, his soul came into iron. So let's read that again. They hurt his feet with fetters. His soul came into iron until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now that seems so heavy. But Joseph, when he shared his word, his word was the dream of him sharing with his brothers and his father how they would bow down to him. That was his word. He said, listen to a dream I've dreamed. He presented himself. But then he gets sold into Egypt and he's pruned. Then he gets taken into Potiphar's house and he prospers. Then he experiences a pruning again and he goes to prison. Whilst he's in prison, he's called out of prison to stand before Pharaoh. Yet the difference is that instead of presenting himself, this is what Joseph said. He said in Genesis 41, in Genesis 30, no, it's Genesis 41, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man. He didn't present himself. That would have been his opportunity. Hey, Pharaoh, I'm a dreamer. You can choose me. I got this. But instead, he says, let Pharaoh choose a wise and discerning man. He expected to go back to prison. There was nothing about his demeanor that he thought he was out of it. And yet Pharaoh takes him out. And Joseph rules under Pharaoh in that position for 80 years, 8-0. He lived to be 110. 
So he was pruned for maybe 17 years. But those 17 years of pruning saw him faithful in the most idolatrous country in the world at that stage without falling prey to sin or depravity of any kind. He stayed true to the Lord because the depth of the pruning had done its work to the depth of the Lord's call upon his life. And so we at times misunderstand the pruning, don't draw near. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I've got one final point, and that is what seems like the endless valley. It seems like there's no breakthrough. You've been waiting, you've been praying, you've been trusting, and you are still waiting and praying and trusting. And others are going before you across that Jordan, and you find yourself in the desert, and it just doesn't seem to be this breakthrough that you've been waiting for. And the example I wanna give to you is out of Acts 3. There was a beggar who was healed in Acts 3. And he used to beg outside of the gate beautiful. And what I wanna share with you is perhaps a little bit of a stretch, but bear with me, because I believe it to be true. He sat outside one of the most lucrative spots to beg in all of Israel. It was just outside of the temple. So anyone going into the temple, as part of their devotion, they would show their holiness to their peers if they wanted to show off. But even if they didn't, giving to the poor was an offering. It was, it was blessed. And so he sat in the best place, rather there than in an alley in the back of, of, of Jerusalem somewhere. And I guarantee he didn't sit there for a short amount of time. He must have got that spot a while before. And in that spot, I tell you, I believe that he must have witnessed Jesus going in and out of the temple, perhaps many times. As Jesus would teach, there he sat and Jesus walked by, and Jesus walked by, and Jesus walked by, because the Lord knew there was a time, and there was an end to the valley. It wasn't forever. And one day, Peter and John come, comes, and on that day, the fullness of the Lord's heart for his breakthrough came forth as the Lord ministered through his apostles and they declared, silver and gold we do not have to give to you, but what we do have we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And in that moment, his 40-year-old crippled body was made whole. You might feel your circumstances, your life, what you're trusting for is a 40-year-old crippled body. It'll never walk. You waited so long. I'm here to tell you today that he who promised is faithful he is faithful and true, and he will keep that which you have entrusted to him. He has not forgotten about you. Position yourself next to him. Draw from the vine. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. I have one final scripture. Thank you. That is Psalm 91 verse 15. He shall call upon me, it says, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. That is out of Psalm 91. We know this is the protection psalm. But I just wanna share with you that where it says, I will be with him in trouble, I will deliver him and honor him. And just before, I will answer him. The Lord's promise is he will answer you. It's directly in the word. That's something you can take to him in prayer and say, Lord, you, you promised you'd answer me. Please answer me. But his response is, I will be with him I will deliver him from trouble. But there's a semicolon. Sometimes his answer manifests as the full deliverance there and then. Hallelujah. But sometimes it does not. Sometimes we experience 
that we still wait, but the promise is he is with you because those are not necessarily sequential. And as long as God with you is with you, he is the deposit of your reward. He is your strength. He is the one who will carry you, comfort you, encourage you, and lift you up, but position yourself next to him. So just to recap, our hearts are earthen vessels. They can crack, but plant his word in your heart and hold on to that word. Don't let it go, regardless of the surrounding Chaldean circumstances. Guard your heart practically. You are not called to walk in human sympathy alone. Walk in compassion, walk in what God is leading you into. Trust him to show you that. Love everyone, trust only the trustworthy. Pray to see what God is doing in a person's life or situation. Bless what he is doing to see that come to pass. And finally, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Don't allow your situation to draw you away from the Lord. Now is the time to draw near to the Lord. Amen. 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 I'd like to, thank you. I'd like to just quickly pray and then I'm gonna release you from the service. Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share. Lord, there have been many, many principles, many words, that which is good for each ear, I pray will be planted. Even if it's just one thing, may you grant it life. May you speak fertility over your word in the hearts of your people. Not one word will be stolen, I speak that in Jesus' name. There will be no crow, there will be no stealing of the word. And Lord, I'd also just pray that for those who have been wounded, you would break up the fallow ground of their hearts, that their word could penetrate deeply once again. I pray you would visit your people, Lord, with your presence. You are faithful and true, Lord. You are the Holy One of Israel. You are our Lord and our God and our Savior, and you are mighty. And I pray, Lord, for a mighty work in the hearts of your people, Lord, that you will heal, you will restore, you will make whole that which has been broken. But Lord, may we honor you in all of our ways. We thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.